Hi folks, my name is E.C. McKinley. I'm with Pastor Lindsay Schreiber and I want to thank you to another episode of Notes to the Young Preacher. Today we're talking about the subject of mentoring and not mentoring from the sense of the uh, business model that's in the world today. Maybe you would read in uh, the best one in Harvard Business Review, but we want to talk about biblical mentoring and how important that subject really is to the church today. I would like to say a little bit about my own personal experience with it. Uh, when I first came to the Lord many, many years ago, back in the 1970s, and I came to my pastor and I told the pastor, I said, I believe I've been called into the ministry. Well, he gave me two bits of advice. He said, now, you know, boy, he always called me boy, I was a grown man, but he called me boy. He said, you know, boy, God didn't call you to just sit on a church pew. And uh, he went on to explain what he meant was that when God calls us, he does not just call us to be a part of a social club, a social construct where, you know, you have certain meeting times, you have a certain schedule, and then you go to the next meeting time and you maybe do some uh, humanitarian works along the way. But he meant that you need to go out and get involved in the, in the work of the ministry. And he said, uh, God did not call you to do that, but he called you to be a soul winner. He first put in my mind the idea that ministry was more than just standing in a pulpit and preaching to, to people who are just hoping you'll get done in time that they can beat the other churches to the restaurant in town. But then he gave me some secondary advice. He said, don't hang a guitar around your neck, learn, uh, learn three chords and take off. And what he was saying was that that was, the, that was how things were back in that day, that you would learn how to play a guitar so you could sing some songs at a revival and, and preach a pitiful message and then hope that God would uh, you know, give you some results for it. And in our certain, in our church denomination, it was the only requirement then was that you feel the call to preach and, and that you wait a year from your call until you could be licensed. And I was actually probably the first, I, I believe it was proven that I was the first minister in our denomination in Indiana to go through a review board process. Mm -hmm. Uh, because of our mission, I know it's funny, it was later known as the parole board, but to go through the review board by Bishop Raymond Pruitt, who was a genuine scholar in our church. And, um, and when uh, uh, requirements were added to what it took to become a minister, we learned that that, that is absolutely true. You don't just learn a couple, three chords and take off. Mm -hmm. But biblical mentoring, uh, I think that Lindsay, you have some amazing insight on that that you've been sharing. And uh, folks, since my retirement, um, I'm, my daughter is now my pastor. And you talk about um, her having a chance to get even. Boy, now's the chance to get even everything I might have ever done wrong. But anyway, um, she doesn't take advantage of that. But Lindsay, tell me, um, there, there are two basic uh, biblical models that I've learned over the years mm -hmm. that uh, when we ever talked about mentoring, and the first one always came out of the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. It was the relationship between Elijah and Elisha, 
And then there was the New Testament example that was given of the Apostle Paul, and uh, he called him my son Timothy, my son in the faith. And so there's some very dramatic differences between the mm -hmm. two models. Mm -hmm. Why don't you tell us something about Elijah to start with? So Elijah, obviously he's a New Testament prophet. His protege is Elisha. And Old Testament prophet. Yeah. You said New Testament. I did not. Yes, you did. You want to listen to it? <laughs> no, I'll, I'll accept that you said it. It's the truth. That's fine. I guess those listening will know which one of us is right about that. Okay, either way, he was a prophet uh, who happened to be in the Old Testament, yes. Anyways, his protege was... Although he's mentioned in the New Testament. Hebrews. Are you trying to mess me up no, now? Okay, so um, I know where he is either way. So right. he was a prophet in the Old Testament. And he was really, when I've heard people talk about mentoring, a lot of times people lean in on, this is the example, this is the example. Because uh, you hear a phrase batted around a lot, more is caught than taught. Okay, we're about to see what's the difference between if you catch and what you've been taught. There's, right. that's, that's really the difference between what happens with Elijah and what happens with Paul uh, that I wanted to, to point out. So. Um, we'll run through the story of Elijah first. So uh, really the story of him taking on Elisha, I think, starts with him, with Elijah depressed up under the broom tree. We talked about that last week. And he goes to meet with the Lord on a mountain. And the Lord says, why are you here? And he says, I did everything you told me to do. I have been uh, fervent and yet look what they've done look what the people have done and they've turned against you and, I, and i'm alone i'm the last one left did everything you said and yet i'm the last one left which was not true we're going to find out later it wasn't true but we already we already know it's not true because at the end of fire being called out from heaven the nation comes back to god so elijah's not seen plainly in this moment okay and so then we know there's um, a, a a wind and a fire and an earthquake but god's not in it that he's he's in the small voice Elijah puts his mantle across his face because he's going to go meet with God. And God says again, what are you doing here? Again, I did everything you said. The nations turned against you and I'm alone left. I think it's really interesting when the Lord replies back to him, the Lord gives him direction of where to go next. And I want to get over to it. We're in 1 Kings 18 because I don't want to, to misquote this in any way. Um, 1 Kings 19 and verse 16. You anoint Jehu as king over Israel and Elisha as prophet in your place. I think that's telling mm -hmm. because I think what just happened there was that Elijah let God know, I'm done. I, I couldn't. I could kill all those false prophets. I could call fire down from heaven. But when Elijah is confronted with a note from Jezebel, he ran. I don't think he was, that's just my opinion. My opinion is that when he's meeting with God, that they're having that conversation and it's this moment of, you're not going to be able to be the one that finishes this job. So let's find someone else. Let's find the next one. So he gets this instruction. And then we know Elijah goes to Elisha. Uh, and this is in 1 Kings 19. 
and verse 19, and it says that Elijah walked by him and he threw his mantle over him. Now, we always view that in a very symbolic terms, right? Because we use the word mantle as if every time you hear the word mantle in the Bible that that was just symbolic. It wasn't symbolic to them. It was part of the uniform of the prophet. It, it visually equated you with that position. Kind of like a, a high church minister wears a collar. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And so when he does that, and I really want us to picture that, he's throwing it onto him. He's not touching him. Mm -hmm. He's throwing it on him. Kind of like, I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. And he throws it on him. And, and But we've painted that as this beautiful picture yeah. of uh, somebody who is marking the next, you know, the next generation. And I don't view it that way. Right. I, I view it as good luck to you, bud. I mean. So it's not like the picture of two runners and they're running a relay race. And I don't see it like that. One hands the baton off, the other takes it up. I don't see it that way at all. Mm-hmm. I've seen it demonstrated that way before. That's why yeah. I asked you that. Yeah, wow. but I don't see. I mean, I don't see it like that. I I see it as he was done. Mm -hmm. He says I'm totally alone. What's interesting, we can talk this another time. But after this, all of a sudden, these other prophets show up in the story, mm -hmm. and Elijah goes silent for a minute. For a few chapters, mm -hmm. you see other prophets, and I believe again that came from he told God, "I'm out," mm -hmm. and God said, "Okay." Now he does use him again before the end of his life. Um, but I just wanted to highlight that, that moment right there where he throws it because it's going to matter in a minute when we talk about Paul. Okay, so like I said, the word, we don't see Elijah for a little bit. He kind of pops up in a couple different verses, but we don't really see him in action again until 2 Kings 1. 2 Kings 1, we see him again. He calls down a fire and it, it kills uh, a lot of men mm -hmm. um, in 2 Kings 1. And then in chapter 2 is the end of Elijah on this earth, right, in this okay. story. So he's walking with Elisha. Uh, verse 1 says, The time had come for the Lord to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elijah and Elisha were traveling from Gilgal, and Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here. The Lord is sending me on to Bethel. But Elisha replied, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. So we see them together. They're walking mm -hmm. together infamously in the same chapter uh, we get to verse 9 uh, they've now crossed over the Jordan River Elijah says to Elisha he knows his time is winding down tell me what I can do for you before I'm taken from you so Elisha answered please let me inherit two shares of your spirit Elijah replied you have asked for something difficult if you see me being taken from you then you will have it if not you won't and so they continued walking and talking, and a chariot of fire with horses of fire suddenly appeared and separated the two of them. And then Elijah went up into heaven in the whirlwind. As Elisha watched, he kept crying out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. Then he never saw Elijah again. He took hold of his own clothes. He tore them into pieces. And verse 13, Elisha picked up the mantle that had fallen off of Elijah. Okay. We could do a whole podcast talking about the separation, when separation comes in a mentoring relationship, right. because it always has to come. I think let's mark that down to talk about that another day, because mm -hmm. we see that there. But what, what I want us to notice here is his response is, if you want what I have, then you have to stay with me. Right. Remember, this is the guy whose complaint to the Lord is, I'm all alone. And he's been alone throughout the story. Right. You don't see Elijah with, with partnership. 
Paul had partnership throughout his ministry. Different people, but he was he was other than when he's in Arabia, he's usually got somebody with him. Right. Elijah had been alone. Now here at the end of, of his life, he, he has a way to make sure that he never has to be alone. Right. Which is to say, if you want this, you can't leave me. My conclusion when I read this, and, and it, we can talk about it if you want. You can have a different opinion if you want. But I believe... I appreciate that. Well, yeah. See, and I didn't even say what I normally do, which is you don't have to agree with me. You can be wrong if you want to. Uh, I think in the story of Elijah, what we actually find is companionship. Right. I think you're finding companionship between two people with the same spiritual gift. I think it's important to know the difference. I've got five dedicated uh, students right now in my mentoring program, that five to myself. And I look at them and uh, I'm thinking of one in particular, she and I share the same spiritual gifting. My calls with her, my interactions with her are very different than some of the other ones in the group because I have an understanding of God aligned us so she wouldn't have to walk alone. Because she also has a very lonely spiritual gift. Mm -hmm. And that God's intent is for me to walk with her so she doesn't have to be by herself. Does she see things I do? Yeah. But here's the problem with saying he was a mentor. What did Elijah do after Elisha was around? Right. Very little happened in the, in, in the life of Elijah at that point. Well, and in fact, uh, Elisha goes on to do twice the miracles. <laughs> mm -hmm. That Elijah did. But they were miracles he hadn't watched happen. Right. So when people say more is caught than taught, mm -hmm. what did Elisha catch? Mm -hmm. He didn't. He wasn't there when for the resurrection of of the widow's son. Mm -hmm. Or at the brook, Kerith, uh, the yeah. cutting blaze. Yeah. He wasn't there. Um, for, now he sees fire called on those men, but he wasn't there uh, when they make the sacrifices before God. Mm -hmm. So I think that pokes a hole in that. Mentoring is just watching what somebody's doing. Right. No, it's not. Right. That's a relationship, and it has a place, and it has value, but it's not training somebody. And here's the distinction. Throwing the mantle on him, this is why it matters to understand that's not just symbolic. That did not make Elisha, uh, it did not make him have the gift of prophecy. Right. That came from God. Right. God had aligned them together but it didn't mean that he became that because he was with him. Right. And that's important because sometimes people want to get into mentoring relationships with someone that they say, well, I want to be like them. Right. Well, maybe that's not for you to be like them because that's not, not the gift that God has, right? right? And I think those relationships are unique from what we're going to talk about with Paul because if I'm right and they're together because of the relationship and the spiritual giftedness, I think it's, a huge, uh, a huge piece of information that Elijah doesn't die, the same way the gift doesn't die. Right. That gift was not dependent on Elijah doing anything for Elisha. Right. Elisha was was the prophet, whether he threw that mantle mantle at him or not, because God did it. And, and in my case, uh, I'll share how it, a little more recent mm -hmm. that when my pastor. He, he, he wouldn't let me just sit down and be his buddy. Right, yeah. He, he sent me out to work. He mm -hmm. sent me uh, into the harvest field. Mm -hmm. He trained me. Yeah. He taught me the, uh, personal evangelism, the, the, the art of it. Mm -hmm. But then uh, he sent me a way to do it on my own. Yeah. He gave me opportunities to do business of the church. But with him there, if I mm -hmm. ran into a problem, yeah. 
And, and even though I loved him very much as, as my spiritual leader, mm -hmm. uh, I had a distinct and, and, and unique gifting that was different than what his gifting right. was. So yeah. that's what you're saying. Mm -hmm. And of course, even though, uh, and this will maybe be a bridge into talking about Timothy mm -hmm. and Paul, um, even though my bishop has gone on to be with the Lord, his ministry didn't end there because right. it was the same anointing that I had, mm -hmm. that he had, the anointing right. of the Holy Ghost. Yeah. He basically helped me not stumble. Right. And so he taught me rather than just mm -hmm. kind of threw me into it. Yeah, yeah. Um, my, I've, I have hurt my, my mentee's feelings on occasion by pointing out that I'm not their friend. Yeah, he's hurt my feelings a time or two as well. Uh, <laughs> but it was for my good. Yeah, and and we've because I, I mentor I mentor women. Um, I've never had a uh, I've never mentored a young man, but uh, they're ranging in age from I think uh, nineteen up to I won't give the age of the oldest one, but she's old enough to be my mother. Um, but especially those those younger ones, you could see it in their face when I said I'm not your friend. Yeah. Um, but they understand that now, and I've said someday maybe. Maybe I can't be when when we do reach that point of separation and and God has you know someone else comes in and pours into you, maybe then we'll be friends. Right. But I'm not your friend right now because I have to tell you hard things, and I have to. I think I think that's a distinction as we get into Paul. Paul called him his son. Right. Again, the difference between him and Elijah. Right. Right. So if you, of course, Elisha calls out as father. Right. Um, so there are still aspects of that, but when you're in these relationships, there has to be that understanding of I'm in a different, not a better position or a higher position, mm. but I'm in a different position than you. Right. Um, and that's important there, because you're pouring in as a spiritual uh, parent, essentially. Right. So, so then we get over into the New Testament with Paul, who I think is a much better example um, of what true mentoring should look like for those who want to be in ministry. What do you think is the most distinct thing that separates the, the methods or the styles? Well, Paul taught him. Yeah. Right? Well, well there so, you go. So these people who say, well, more's caught than taught, that becomes excuse not to teach. Right. And you don't have that option not to teach. And so if they fail, mm -hmm. it's, it's not really... It wasn't my teaching. It wasn't me. It was their, their they problem. They didn't catch right. on. They weren't watching closely enough. They weren't doing uh, what they were supposed to do. You know what else is interesting... Um, in the, let me let me go back there because I don't I don't want to say this wrong. Uh, back when when the mantle is thrown over onto him, I want to point out something very specific uh, that happens. First Kings nineteen. Now I, I'm reading this out of a, a Holman Bible today. Uh, it reads differently in, in New King James that I normally preach out of. But after he throws the mantle on Elisha, it says. He left, he followed Elijah, and he served him. Mm -hmm. He became his servant. Yeah. Um, I've watched a lot of people manipulate, especially young people in the ministry, and it's very sad. They manipulate them with this, well, you have to be near to me, serve me yeah. so that you can see. Yeah, carry right. my Bible. Yeah, and um, and I have people who, who have... You know, helped me come with me when I go to preach somewhere to set things up. I'm very thankful for that. But if that's all they're good for, if they're a pack mule for you, right. you're not mentoring them. Right. 
So if you're listening to this and you, you want to be a minister and you say, well, someone gave me this great opportunity and if I just serve them, then the day will come. Well, unless they're also teaching you how to swing the sword, they're not right. mentoring you. Right. You're a servant to them and not to God at that point. Well, and l let me bring up one more thing uh, before we jump fully into uh, the New Testament epistles. Mm -hmm. when, when Paul versus Elijah mm -hmm. uh, get involved with their lives, um, Paul literally is willing to lay his life down mm -hmm. for Timothy. Yeah. But you can't say the same thing about Elijah. Mm -mm. So when someone that that their their goal in mentoring you is just to make you a little carbon copy of mm -hmm. them, yeah, that's not biblical mentoring. No. no. But I've seen that. I've seen that over the years, especially when um, they say, you know, we had a we have a joke among. Well, I was an overseer, and as an overseer, we had a joke among ourselves was that when we saw someone that we had licensed to do well, mm -hmm. then, then they would be on a program preaching somewhere at a conference and, mm -hmm. and we would look over to our peer and we'd say, well, I signed his license. Yeah. You didn't do nothing for him right. other than yeah. sign a credential. Right. But the, re the relationship that I share with my mentor mm -hmm. was much more than that. Yeah. It didn't matter if I had a piece of paper or not. Mm -hmm. And he was very, he did not on a regular basis give out compliments. Right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he would, he would be so straight yeah. to the point that I would think, well, like you said, he's never going to like me. I don't mm -hmm. know why he keeps me yeah. around. Well, he was teaching me. He was teaching me rejection. Mm -hmm. He was teaching me that not everybody's going to love you mm -hmm. when you preach the gospel. Yeah. And so uh, I can see a vast difference, but... Go ahead and tell me what you think about Paul and Timothy. So, we they meet each other, Acts 16, mm -hmm. right, is where they first meet. Um, we can just turn over there now. In Acts 16, um, let's see here, verse 1, then Paul went to Derb and Lystra where there was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a believing Jewish woman, but his father was a Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke highly of him. Paul wanted Timothy to go with him, so he took him and he circumcised him. That's commitment right there. Uh, <laughs> because of the Jews who were in other places, since they all knew that his father was Greek. Let me stop you there just before you get into it. I mm -hmm. keep saying, tell me, and then I keep interrupting you. No, go ahead. But that fact that he circumcised him, Paul became the greatest proponent that that, that you that circumcision was not a physical thing, yeah. but it was a spiritual mm -hmm. thing. But why, why do you think Paul circumcised him when he's going to turn around and preach against making mm -hmm. that the only thing that you're identifier, so to speak? Well, for one thing, I mean, the Bible says he did it because he knew where they were going to mm -hmm. and because those people would know that his dad was a Greek. Yeah. And I think also because he became his father. Right. Right. That's that's something that uh, would have been out of a baby's control. See, I was hoping you'd say that. Yeah, he was his father, and it's a mm -hmm. it's a covenant, right? right? That that they're entering into. It's showing commitment. Um, I don't do any surgical procedures on my students. However, <laughs> recently, um, I have started with my students um, when they begin. They have to fill out a, a questionnaire that tells me about their life, their personal life. It also tells me things like. 
Tell me the story when you were saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost. Do you want to be credentialed in the church? Are you? Why are you not? What's, you know, what's your feelings about these things? But the last page is a commitment that we both have to sign mm -hmm. that says essentially, I see something in you. All right. I'm going to make a major time commitment with you. All right. And I need to know that you are going to also make a commitment back with me. All right. Which I think is also, we can talk about that in a minute, but uh, I think commitment is massive and it's something that is missed in a lot of what we claim are mentoring relationships, but really aren't. And I think that's why a lot of people feel, feel very dejected um, because they were excited and they were working with someone they admired and then the commitment either on one side or the other or both it falls flat and then they feel like a failure. Yeah, and, they, and some even leave ministry. Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, set deep. So something that, that I notice about the relationship between uh, Paul and Timothy, uh, well, several things I just want to point out in his letter to Timothy. Uh, first, in um, he points out something, First Timothy 4. Uh, I want to read verses 13 through 16. Until I come, give your attention to public reading, exhortation, and teaching. Do not neglect the gift that is in you. It was given to you through prophecy with the laying on of hands by the council of elders. Practice these things. Be committed to them so that your progress may be evident to all. Pay close attention to your life and your teaching. Persevere in these things, for by doing this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Um, I appreciate the fact that he points out a lot of people lay their hands on you. Right. It's not about me. But now I notice you you won't let just anyone lay hands on I, you. No, I don't. No? Yeah. Uh-uh. No, sir. Um, I'm very particular about that. Um, and don't you think Paul was the same? Oh, yeah. When he said the laying on of hands of the elders, don't mm -hmm. you think there are people that... Yeah, it, there's power had, in it. Yeah, they would have to. Mm -hmm. They would have had to uh, pass the muster, so yeah. to speak. Yeah, and I know that scripture that says, be quick to lay hands on no man. I understand that, that we... That means don't get angry and grab them up, I think. <laughs> well, a lot of people read that and they say that means don't mark someone for greatness early yeah. on. But I think equally we can say, be cautious. Yeah. Which, a time for another podcast. Yeah. But something I would love to talk about is um, when people were delivered of, of demonic spirits in the Bible, people were healed when they were touched. Right? right, but when people were delivered of demonic spirits, you don't see touching. Just the word is You're, spoken. Yeah, just a word is spoken, but they're not right. touched. I think that's something worth talking right. about later uh, if we want to get into that kind of stuff. But back to, to the task at hand, it's not about Paul. And Paul understands it's not about him. Right. right? So you guys make the joke about I signed the license or whatever. Um, but there has to be an acknowledgement from the mentor of I am proud of, of this person I'm guiding. I am, I'm thankful for what God is doing, but it's God doing the work. It's not me doing the work because right. I can't do it. Uh, so I think it was important that he, he pointed out it wasn't just him. But then in 2 Timothy, uh, this is something I really want to highlight, uh, 1 and 6, he says, Therefore I remind you to keep ablaze the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. Right. For God has not given us a spirit of Fear. fearfulness, but mm -hmm. one of power, love, Sound judgment, because again, it's the Holman, right? Um, let's go back. Elijah threw a mantle. Mm-hmm. But Paul put his hands on it. Right. There's, a, I think there's an intimacy to that. 
I am envisioning in my mind, you know, poor Elisha's just out here doing his job, and all of a sudden this hairy coat gets thrown on him, right? Because <laughs> we know that's what it looked like. Yeah. Okay? But Paul, I see him putting his hands on his face and an impartation happening. Right. And not just put his hands on his face, but now you're coming with me. I'm going to take you with me. Right. You're going to learn the, the things that I have to teach you, right? Um, so there's an intimacy that should be occurring in mentoring that gets left out when you just say, well, just sit over there and watch me. Right. That's not the same as what he did. The other thing that he did that I think is very distinguishing and I think probably the most important piece, 2 Timothy 1 and 13, he's giving instruction, hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who lives in you that good thing entrusted mm -hmm. to you. So that tells you he didn't say just catch it. Right. He says, I taught you. And I taught you, he says, a sound pattern. He's saying, I systematically taught you. Hang on to what I said to you. So it's better caught than taught? Hmm. You're saying it's the opposite of way of saying it's the opposite, yeah. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm just I think that's an excuse. Circle. I think, right. and I'm, I'm, not, and I'm not degrading anybody who said that, because I get it, and I've probably shouted around a room when I heard it before, too. Yeah. Okay? I understand that. And I understand the concept of uh, there's not really a replacement. When I was in, um, so I was an x-ray CT tech back in the day. And when we were in clinicals, they would say, uh, see one, do one, teach one. That's how you would learn, right. right? You watch it happen, then you do one under supervision, and then you go out and do it yourself. Right. And then the next step is you teach somebody else, Which right? is also a principle of uh, personal evangelism, mm -hmm. training someone. Mm -hmm. You teach them the method, but mm -hmm. then... The best way to learn something mm -hmm. is to do what you just learned. Yeah, right. But you can't skip over the teaching. Right. And I think that sometimes when people say that more is caught than taught, that was just laziness. Yeah. They were just being lazy and saying, I'm not going to give my time to you. And probably because they were too busy building their own kingdom to stop and teach somebody well, else. Well, if the person that they're mentoring or allegedly mentoring mm -hmm. fails, mm -hmm. it's not on the teacher. You know, yeah. there's, a, there's a philosophy that... That was in college that I that I was taught that a failure to learn is not a failure to learn; it's a failure to teach. Yeah, and I think that applies more to Paul's model. Yeah, than Elijah's model. I heard, strangely enough, that this is who I'm about to reference. But I was watching a concert of Chris Stapleton, and <laughs> he was performing for Vince Gill. It was some sort of honor for Vince Gill, and. He walks out, he said, well, they asked me if I want to say something, so I do. And he says, when he first moved to Nashville, he said that Vince Gill would invite him to songwriters events. He said that I didn't have any business. Like, like around these greats, I didn't deserve to be around, but he brought me in. But he said a line that I hope I don't forget. He said, he looks at Vince Gill and he said, you had the courage to encourage me. Wow, that's a good thing. And oftentimes, some of these people that say, well, sit over there and catch it. Right. The truth is that they don't have the courage to encourage you because they're afraid you'll surpass them. Yeah, I know of one songwriter who's probably made it pretty well in the business mm -hmm. that he would refer his own name. He'd say, if you want to become a, mm -hmm. and then say his name, yeah. then you'll need to do this. Yeah. But it's not just about if, if you want to be just as good as I am, mm -hmm. what you have to do. 
but Paul is really being a servant to Timothy mm -hmm. as well as being his mentor. He's being a yeah. servant to him as well. Yeah. Well, what I see is he, he's saying, I, you have a gift that you received. I laid my hands on you. You received this gift from the Holy Spirit, but I also taught you. Right. So hold fast to that and let the Holy Spirit who is in you, right. who that's probably who he received when he laid on the hands, right? Because um, we know in the Bible, in the New Testament, that would happen. They would lay hands on someone. They would receive the impartation of the Holy Ghost, right? right? So he's saying, I laid my hands on you. You've received the gift of the Holy Spirit who will not make you afraid. Mm -hmm. And he's going to guard what I taught. Yeah, that's good. So it's got to take both pieces. You can't skip over the one. And I don't like throwing us Pentecostals under the bus, but I do it a lot. Which is that we have this tendency to feel like the Holy Ghost excuses us from study. He excuses us from hard work. He excuses us from putting in the time because he'll just give me what I need. He teaches me what I need to know, mm -hmm. what I need to study. Paul addresses this, I think, Second mm -hmm. Timothy, when you were talking about Brother Gaddis uh, telling you, you know, don't just run out there. You've got to be ready. Second right. Timothy 2.15, Paul says to Timothy, be diligent to present yourself approved to God. Right. A worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. I've been thinking about this verse even before I knew we were going to talk about this. Um, he says, study to show yourself approved, not study to make yourself approved. Right. God already chose you. Right. But now you need to put the legwork in to prove that God made, made the right choice in right. you. Right. Uh, I think, I think we, we should understand we're living up to something. God put something on us that we really don't deserve. But what can I do to get closer to that, closer to what I'm supposed to be doing? So with Paul, I see impartation and I see instruction. I'm a firm believer that mentoring does not work unless it is very disciplined mm -hmm. and it's very structured. Um, I say you can't be a disciple if you're not disciplined. Um, the word says the Lord disciplines those he loves, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you can't do this haphazardly. Mm -hmm. Mentoring is not... I'm really impressed with this person, so maybe I'll call them if I have a problem. That's not mentoring. Mentoring has to be steady, has to right. be consistent. He talks about a consistent pattern. That meant there was a lot of either conversations, letters, corrections that were happening between the two of them. Um, and I want to, winding up about Paul, say something about the, the, the transfer is what I'm going to call it. The end of one person's ministry and the way it was transferred to the next, which uh, when I said I had my, my students sign paperwork, I say that in there. I say every mentoring relationship will come to an end. Do not expect me to be with you forever because right. I'm not. One or both of us, hopefully both of us at the same time will recognize this time is up. Um, but you're not saying that in the sense of, um, well, just be grateful that we've had this time together. No. You're not saying that no. with that attitude. No, I'm saying this, this is... But yeah. I've known teachers that yeah. would say that when you'd say, um, do you have this written anywhere in what they were teaching? Yeah. Uh, one very well known. And um, he, they would say, well, do you have this written somewhere so I can take this home and study? And he would say, his response was, well, I don't want my work that I've been spending so much time on to end up becoming your uh, your thesis and your yeah. dissertation uh -huh. and you earn a degree off of what I studied. Mm -hmm. So let's just be thankful we had this time right, well, together. That's...
Well, I thought he was full of himself then. <laughs> and, and all these years later, I think he's uh, still full of himself. Okay. Because it's about transferring. Right. It's, it's about not um, be thankful that you have me, but that mentor, in a, in a sense, needs to be thankful also that they have that yeah. one being mentored. So I, part of why I, I feel very strongly is, so I, I've had a couple mentors in my life. You've been the most lasting. You're still the one I go to now. Um, but I had one maybe in a, I think we're probably doing a series here on on. Uh, mentoring so yeah, we'll at, talk about this more at more. some point I'll talk a little bit more about the one the Lord sent me who was I mean Elijah showed up again through this person I'm just telling you and uh, it's just a really wild story but she would always say to me she would say Lindsay uh, our time is going to end you have to learn everything you can right now mm-hmm. she'd say if you have any questions you have to ask me now now my mentor the Lord brought her to me from another country actually yeah. But she was not um, arrogant saying that. No, she wasn't arrogant. What she was telling me was, because she, she has a long list of successful students right. in her past. And she's talked about, she said, you know, usually she had two years before the Lord would say this, this is done. Mm-hmm. And she would move on. And she's moved on to the next person the Lord gave her to lead. And the old ones are trying to take her time mm-hmm. and seek her guidance and her help. And she would say to them, I'm not on Texas time anymore. Yeah. I'm not on New York time anymore. Um, and for me, she said, someday I won't be on Tennessee time. And I, she would say, I will not answer your phone calls. Mm-hmm. If you have a, now that's <laughs> turned out to not be true because she has answered my phone calls since I moved here. Uh, our situation ended a little differently because every mentor relationship she had, the Lord picked her up and moved her somewhere else. Right. With me, the Lord picked me up and took me somewhere else. Right. So we were a little bit different, but. I've always bared that in mind, and I'm telling my students, you have to learn now. You have to be diligent now. I'm not always going to be with you. You're going to be in situations, and a couple right now in particular, I've, I've really reiterated this with them and said, the Lord is opening some really big doors for them. Mm-hmm. I physically won't be with you. If you're in another part of the world, I can't get to you and help you. Right. You may not be able to call me. You have to learn now. If you're unsure of something, ask me right now. Uh, it's a way of, of preparing them. This is this is going to happen. It's going to end. Don't, I, I'm not your crutch. Right. Right. I think about Jesus telling the disciples, how long must I be with you? Right. Like there comes this point of, I can't be your crutch anymore. Um, but Paul, 2 Timothy, time's over and he knows it. And, and there's not this, these are the last things I'm going to say to you, Timothy, because if you don't get to me before the winter, I won't see you again. These are my last chances. So I want to read how he concludes. So with, with Elijah and Elisha's time ending, it ends with Elijah going up in the whirlwind. Elisha sees it. He picks up the mantle and he goes. Mm-hmm. Okay. But what he had was because God had placed it in him. Now, compare that. Second Timothy 4, verses 1 through 8. I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing in his kingdom, proclaim the message. Persist in it, whether convenient or not. Rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. For the time will come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves, because I think King James is heaping up into Mm -hmm. themselves, because they will have an itch to hear something new. 
They'll turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. But as for you, be serious about everything. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time for my departure is close. I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. There is reserved for me in the future the crown of righteousness, which is the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. And Paul is saying to him, time's up. Yeah. In his writings to Timothy, I, I think I read something like 25 times he says, don't be afraid, be courageous. Because he saw, he spent enough time with Timothy to know what Timothy's downfall was. Right. How are you, how are you seeing that if, if you're just saying, hey, catch what rolls off of me? Right. right. He was having conversation with him to know what his struggles were. And he's saying to him, I'm almost done and it's your turn. You're the next one. And I, I thought a lot about this. We just finished a study on Paul here at the local church. And I was thinking about, you know, that we always think about the runner handing the baton, right? Mm-hmm. Now, um, I think in our minds, let's say I'm Timothy, right? Because I'm the young one here. And of you're Paul. You yeah. And you're Paul. In our minds, you know, I'm supposed to be standing like this waiting to receive that baton. Podcast people can't see me. My hand's behind my back. And you're coming up to hand me this. Right. I think in our minds what we think is if I get skittish and I say, no, 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 don't give it to me. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. That you'll stand there until I'm ready. Yes. That's not how it works. Right. You know why that's not how it works? Because Paul's head was about to be in a basket. Right. It didn't matter if Timothy was ready or not. It was his turn. Right. And Paul understood that. And Paul was saying to him, everything you need is already in you. You have listened. The Holy Spirit has been imparted to you. I have taught you. I have, I have equipped you the best I can, but the Holy Spirit has given you everything you could possibly need. Mm-hmm. All the way back to your mother and your grandmother placing things in you. He kept encouraging him. You have what you need. You have what you need. You have what you need, which means you don't need me. Right. Which comes back again to how many people are claimed as a mentor to somebody and they keep them in this arrested development. Right. You need me. You need me. If you don't have me, how do you expect those doors to open? Uh, God. Right. Well, if you don't have me, how are you going to know what to do? The Holy Spirit. So I say again, if you are in a mentoring relationship, sometimes they're abusive relationships, honestly. Right. If you're in a mentoring relationship or you're about to get in one that has those abusive red flags of you need me to create the space for you, you need to run right. and ask God for somebody else to guide you. And if you are right. the person who has done that, you need to repent because you are confused. The gospel does not belong to you. Giftedness is you are merely entrusted with a gift from the Holy Spirit, but it's not about you. And to hold people hostage like that, to abuse people like that, I don't think God puts up with it. Right. And I think he'll take your platform and then nobody will want to be like you in the end. So... I guess my synopsis, as we're winding down here, is that I think both, both models have their place. I think the model Elijah shows us is more so a relationship between people who have a similar gifting, but Paul is truly mentor because he's actually teaching something. Right. Um, and I also want to say this one thing. 
I've heard people, um, they'll say, you have, you know, you have to have your Paul. Who's your Paul? Who's pouring into you? Mm-hmm. And then they'll say, who's your Barnabas? Right. Right. They miss the fact that they split up. Right. <laughs> they say, and who's your Timothy? Okay. I, I get the concept. That's a nice concept. And you're right. You need somebody pouring into you. You need someone who is a, a co-laborer that you're encouraging each other. And you need someone uh, that you're pouring into. Right. Right? Do you know who got left out of that? Who was Paul's mentor? Mm-hmm. He said at the feet of Gamaliel, but God taught him. God taught him. He went to Arabia so that nobody, right. nobody could get the credit. Right. But, but Gamaliel gets a certain amount of credit. Yeah. Because he did. He was one who, like you said, was one to lay the life down. He stood up for Paul right. when others didn't, and he did teach him things. But he gets left out of that story. Right. Right? Um, I think it's super important when you're, I think maybe we'll do another podcast about how do you find a mentor or how do you as a mentor, how do you find who the person is you're supposed to be paired with? Um, I think it's really important. An important question of the person who's mentoring you is, and who's mentoring you? Right. Who do you talk to? Right. Who do you go to? Because there will be pieces of them in that person. Right. Maybe not a carbon copy. But there's going to be pieces of them. So it matters who who are they going to and are they going to anybody? Right. Because if the person mentoring you is so prideful that they think there's nothing left for them to learn, they're not your person. Yeah. And that's the that's the very first part of becoming is a teacher is to know that you must be a student first. Yeah. And always, right. I don't. I don't think that, um, as I mentioned at the beginning of our podcast, Brother Gaddis didn't have a lot of formal education, mm-hmm. but man, he was deep in the Word of God. Yeah. He was deep in the things of the Spirit, and he he was probably the one who taught me about how that you learn to develop your own spirit, how to hear the yeah. Spirit in your spirit. Yeah, and um, and. Though I went on to to gain much more formal education than he did, uh, I would sit in, I would sit in classes, and I would tell people about Brother Gaddis that he spent three years. Mm-hmm. And when I say this, this was not the one year like everybody expected in our church uh, denomination mm-hmm. that um, you, you know that we said one year and then you can go preach and just yeah. you know go. Uh, just go. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was the one who spent three years and talked to me almost every day mm-hmm. of those three years. Mm-hmm. And I, I just kind of a humorous end to this, uh, humorous for me, maybe not for everybody else. But I remember um, when he first sent me to conduct a revival by myself, I looked up and here he came to listen, to support, to be there, to be a part of. But uh, when he left before I did, and I came, I came back home, and I had driven, uh, I don't know, um, an hour and a half either way to this revival, and he said, uh, the next day, he said, well, boy, how much was your offering? And I said, uh, well, it was $3.51, and he said, oh, poor preach, poor yeah. pay. Well, you would think that that would hurt your feelings. Yeah. But it didn't do anything rather than what he intended for it to do. Mm-hmm. It motivated me, mm-hmm. and it reminded me at the same time that I was not in this for the money. Yeah. 
that I was in this about, and I looked forward to being back with my mentor again. Mm -hmm. But the time came when I was released. Mm -hmm. He released me. Yeah. He recommended it. Mm -hmm. And I was grateful even to this day. Yeah. I'm grateful to say that he was my mentor. Yeah, and I think the thing is too, even though I I know that sounds harsh when I say I'm not your friend. Yeah. Um, think about. Well, he was he wasn't really my friend. Right. Well, I mean, Paul he was my mentor to the end. Yeah. Well, what I'm saying is, Paul doesn't call Timothy his friend. He calls him his son. Yeah. But at the end of, I I, I counted up one day. I don't remember how many times, but repeatedly in in Second Timothy, he's saying, "Please come see me." Yeah. I I'm I'm desperate to see you. Yeah. That's love. Yeah. There was something much better than friendship between them. Right. It was it was the depths of love and care. And I think um, when God makes a mentoring relationship, that's what you see on the other side of it. Yeah. It's not someone who's going to stroke your ego because they're not going to make you better that or way. Or take advantage of you to be their runner. No. I mean, I with, with my students, I will, uh, the ones who preach, I will critique mm -hmm. what they've done. Um, not in an ugly way or anything like that, and never in the, not really in the spiritual things, unless if someone's preaching something wrong, I'm going to rebuke that, and I'm going right. to I'm going to show them the better way, right? Like Apollos, right? right? You sit down and you just show them, like not in an ugly way. I know rebuke's a hard word, but you sit down and you say, why did you think that? Let's look, maybe there's a better way. Um, but then he later says, I planted, mm -hmm. and Apollos, you, he watered, yeah. so, but God gave the increase. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think when I watch those, like I'll watch their video or I'll go to hear them preach or whatever, I, I try to help them practically. These are practical things you could do better that, that would just right. come across a, a better way. If you looked this kind of way, it would help your message. I give those kind of corrections. Um, but if there has to be total, both sides are totally sold out to this relationship right. for it to work because they have to accept. It is one of the, one of the tests for me of if I will accept someone as a student. Right now, I have a waiting list, mm -hmm. people who have asked to be my student right now, and I don't take on a bunch because I don't. Now, my mentor told me Jesus had 12. Why do you not have 12? Uh, my mentor also doesn't have a husband or children, <laughs> and so I tried to express that, you know, Jesus, you're a little more like Jesus in that sense, but uh, I have the five because I don't think I can do more, handle more than five well right, right now. Um, but with the ones that I have, Something I always weigh is, will this person accept rebuke or will they not? Yeah. Will they allow the correction or will they not? Because if you don't allow correction, I'm not your girl. Right. And, and if that's not, if they're not willing to do that, mm -hmm. you, you would have the concern that you would crush them. And can I, and I just want to throw this in there and then we, we can wind yeah, up. Yeah, we need to but kind this of is, bring it to an end here. But this is just funny because I, I think maybe I feel like I need to say this because I probably sounded really hard just now when I said that of like, oh, I'm correcting them all the time. Um, I was trying to, trying to help you along there. Well, I'm going to help myself by telling yeah, the story. Okay. <laughs> so one of my students recently, um, we've really worked a lot on people-pleasing. Mm -hmm. And the Lord's almost totally took it out of them. You know, but there's still a little bit of it there. And they had said something about a concern of, since we're working together, them becoming more like me. Yeah. And you know how I am. And I said... You're very independent-minded. I said, well, what do people say about me? Uh -huh. It was that moment of, and, and who do men say that I am? I said, what do people say about me? And you heard it on the, the other line, and I was testing their people-pleasing in this. Yeah. Will they just say it or not? And they said, well, some people think yeah, some people. you are, and they go to this list, and I was like, 
and what do you think about me? Mm-hmm. And then you really heard them drop on the other side. And, um, and I said, I promise I'm not going to be mad at you. It's not going to change anything. Tell me, what do you think about me? And they were finally very honest mm-hmm. with how they felt and, and ways they thought that I could do things a different way. And I literally said that we were on the phone and I said, um, I knew the room they were in. I said, I need you to walk up. You have a, you have a window, right? They said, yeah. And I said, go to the window. I think I said, no, literally get up, go to the window. They go to the window. I said, open the curtain. Okay. Look outside. Okay. I said, is the sun shining outside? Yeah. (laughs) And they said, yes. And I said, see, the world didn't end because you were honest with me. Right. And, and my world didn't end over here either. And I said, you know, I I believe unbotheredness is a gift of the Holy Spirit that I happen to have. And I, and I was expressing to them, two portions of it. (laughs) I was expressing to them, you will survive people not being your biggest fan. Who cares? You don't answer. uh, You don't answer to them. I, I, when people, when I find out somebody needs me to like them, you just guaranteed I'm not, whether I like you or not, I'm probably not going to tell you because in my mind, I'm thinking, why does it matter? I mean, it just doesn't matter to me. And I, and I know I'm that person that it doesn't matter to me, so I don't get it. Uh, but it was a really, it was a hard exercise for her. I thought it was funny because it's not like I didn't know what she already thought right. and, and the way she thought I could be different. And um, I didn't make a whole lot of effort to defend myself, you know, when she said it. So I guess I want to share that to say it's a two-way street. Right. There has to be honesty back with the mentor, too. Like with my mentor, there have been times I told her, I don't agree. I don't agree with your assessment of this. I don't agree with the way you said this to me or whatever. And we can have those open conversations because we know there's love at the center of it. Yeah. That's the absolute truth. And I think to, to conclude, we'll conclude with that thought that any kind of a, a mentoring relationship that you're in, love has to be the center of it. Mm-hmm. Why do we do what we do? If we do it for any other reason, then because we love God and we love others, then we've missed the whole part of the great commandment Mm -hmm. that love God with all your heart, soul, your mind, and your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, that's, it's that simple. So thank you for joining our, uh, another episode of Notes to the Young Preacher. And I think we're going to call the next uh, episode notes from the young preacher to the old man that's sitting in the room. <laughs> but I asked, I'm joking because I asked Lindsay to share this ahead of time. I believe that God has given her an exceptional insight for this generation. And I want to do everything I can along the way to help her as she has always been a support for me. And that's the way God means it to be. So thank you again so much. And until the next time, God bless you. May the Lord keep you, make his face to shine upon you. Amen.